HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Sabra Spreads, taking your sandwich to the next level. Learn more at Sabra.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And, you know, I don't really want to bore you with introduction as to who we have on today, because I'm just going to let her speak. When you call somebody a stylist, it seems kind of specific. You know, their role on a photo shoot is usually making sure the food, sometimes the props look great. But Mariana Velasquez is, is much more than that. She is a style maker and, and carries herself in this way that is, uh, um, you know, unlike any other stylist I, I've met before. So thank you for being on the show. You're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, having recently worked with you, um, what I found fascinating is, is obviously you bring this perspective, this very worldly perspective on, on food, but there's also a component of, of fashion that, you know, really is inherent in how you set a scene. Um, is, it, is it your Colombian flair? Is it, is it years <laughs> of working in, you know, coastal kitchens? I think a little bit of both. My Colombian heritage is very important there. Um, but also living in New York, you know, a city that is constantly showing you beautiful things, where aesthetics are so important, where art, design are on our front door, every single day. So I don't know, for me, it's kind of that sensibility. I can't, I can't think of things compartmentalized. You know, it's beautiful food. It's a great apron. It's a whole thing that just brings style and, and good taste. Yeah. I mean, you try to bring your own heritage, that kind of flair into a lot of what you do as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's talk about Colombia for a second, because I mean, I, I didn't even know that like the difference between Bogota and Cartagena were, you know, mountains in the coast. Um, how diverse are the regions of your country? No, so diverse. You know, we have the Andes, we have the Caribbean coast, we have the Pacific coast. And in between valleys, rivers, jungle, um, flatlands, rainforest, um, 
snow peaks. So we have all the thermal floors. I don't even know if it's called the thermal floors, yeah. <laughs> but we have all, every climate. And with that, the availability of all kinds of produce, you know, tropical fruits, um, high altitude vegetables, potatoes, tubers, different kinds of ingredients. And, and, and then for meat, we have the variety of the Caribbean and the Pacific Ocean. So it's pretty fascinating. And then also influenced by immigrants from different places in the world that have brought with them their culture and flavors that have intertwined with Colombian I mean, cooking. I love what you were telling me that on the beach you can have ceviche and fried fish, some coconut rice, but also a side of hummus. Yes. <laughs> Why is that? Well, there is a very strong Syrian Lebanese community in Colombia, and they're mainly located on the Caribbean coast. And so our own cuisine has been influenced by Lebanese, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern cuisines. So imagine combining sesame with tamarind or stuffed cabbage leaves with yuca. Uh, you know, all these flavors are combined with Colombian food and they're part, they're considered traditional Cartagena fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your grandma was part of a group of immigrants that came over in the 1940s. Exactly. Um, so that kind of became that melting pot that Colombia is today. Yes. Because uh, one thing that I did know of Colombian cuisine is uh, it looks like Milanese. You know, you get a chicken cutlet. Uh, yes. What is it? Val, Valbuena. Val, it's, uh, so uh, there, there are so many outside influences, mm -hmm. but it's been adapted within that society for so long that it is Colombian. Yes, exactly. I mean, tell me, what is your favorite arepa? I, no, my favorite arepa is the arepa from Antioquia. La arepa paisa, it's called. It's very, very thin. And it's made with uh, corn. I don't know, with a particular variety of corn. So it's pretty whole. So it has the little bits and it feels really wholesome. And, and you toast it with butter and a little fresh cheese and a sprinkle of salt. And that's, that's my arepa. <laughs> if you need somebody on set when you shoot those, I'll be there in a second. <laughs> I'll have you over for breakfast because that's what I have for breakfast every single morning. My suitcase, every time I come home from home, I bring arepas. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, another one is sancocho, which I always thought was just like meat and potato stew. I'm so wrong, aren't I? <laughs> you're so wrong. Sancocho is different depending on where you are. If you're in, in Barranquilla, for instance, they have this sancocho called the sancocho trifásico, which, ha which has chicken, beef, and pork. And it has plantains, yuca, potatoes, you know, great guiso, with guiso, you know, like a sofrito with onions, tomatoes, cilantro. And it's so good. You can also, you know, serve it with white rice, but also you can have sancocho de pescado, fish sancocho. You have sancocho from Bogota, then, you know, which maybe you would only have chicken and beef. But if you go to Santander, which is on the eastern side of the country near Venezuela, it has cabbage. So it depends, you know, and, it, and the sancocho adopts different names depending on the region as well. Yeah, I mean, what I really want to know, is it a soup or is it a stew? It's a soup. <laughs> okay. But this is the thing, you can serve it in very diff in different ways. Some people cook it all in one pot with the broth, and then when they serve it, you have the consomme on one bo in the bowl, and then everything gets taken out of the soup and served separately. So then you combine it in your own bowl again. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's for the OCD ones. That <laughs> exactly. I want to control. Um, and then, then there's chica. Um, what is that? That corn liquor where, where traditionally what you chew it up because the enzymes break down. Right. So chicha is it's a traditional um, muisca and inca drink that it, basically women eat these raw corn, these large variety. They chew it. They spit it into a vessel and then they ferment it. And then it gets you very drunk. <laughs> I mean, was this something, did you have daily chores and one of them is like, you have to go chew some corn oh, no. because we, we need a little more booze at the house. No, that's one of those things that I think sadly is disappearing. Um, you know, you do not find chicha in Bogota, for instance, which is a very cosmopolitan city. You have to travel to small towns where they make it, where there's still that tradition. And hopefully, you know, there's so many special things like that in Colombia, you know, things that are very handmade and artisanal and special and indigenous from different regions that are starting to disappear. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, some very passionate cooks in Bogota, in Cartagena, in Medellin are trying to rescue some of those methods so that they stay alive. I mean, with this wealth of what it seems like everything, uh, why would you ever want to leave? Why go to Big Sur, California, of all places? <laughs> well, first of all, why not go to Big Sur, California? That's true. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> No, but, you know, I was I was really passionate about cooking, but it didn't seem possible for me to cook and have, be a chef or a cook as a career. Not in 1999 in Bogota, Colombia. And this opportunity came to me out of nowhere. These dear friends who lived near Big Sur in Carmel invited me to spend a month there. And I end up in the kitchen at Sierra Mar restaurant at the Post Ranch. And... That's where I learned everything about cooking, really. Uh, life. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it's like my philosophy of cooking and life started there. I mean, uh, let, let's paint a picture, having both been to Big Sur. I mean, you, you are on the top of this gorgeous bluff looking over the Pacific Ocean. Um, and at night, I mean, the starscape, the, 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 the moon beating down. It, it is one of the most magical places I've been in this country, if not world. No, absolutely. And from the kitchen, we could see the ocean. We would walk out the door and we had the most beautiful herb and vegetable garden. Um, the baguettes were baked by these women up the hill. Uh, we would have kids bring mushrooms that they had foraged, you know, big backpacks of morels and chanterelles. So it was dreamy. We had a new menu every day. I got to see the most exquisite ingredients without even knowing what they were. You know, I mean, for me, it was just my world was opened up in this unbelievable way. I mean, way. what a stark contrast to cooking at Prune in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why, why would you give up that view for a basement? No, because the food at Prune is so delicious and so real and wholesome. And there was something that really attracted me to Gabrielle's kitchen was her line was gorgeous. You know, I mean... The pistachios were sprinkled with this great vintage spoon. You know, like nothing was plastic. Everything looked good on the line, which was kind of a turnoff for me in the industrial or professional kitchens that everything looked kind of sterile and, you know, for the right reasons. But that part did not attract me so much. And at Prune, everything was in a beautiful vessel. And, of course, her food is it's brilliant and... And so real. Did that start piquing your interest then in, in, into styling? Or were you still parlaying 
or trying to figure out what you were doing? I, I mean, I always knew I loved cookbooks and I got these Donna Hay cookbook from 1996 or something as a gift when I was finishing high school and I was fascinated and I thought I want to make cookbooks, but I didn't even know what that meant or how one would get there. So that was my inspiration. And I knew that working in kitchens was very important to get there and learn the craft and pay my dues and peel carrots for days and days. <laughs> I, I mean, so. I, I have to ask the question because you and I both have kitchen backgrounds mm-hmm. and have worked in food styling. Do you think it's important for a stylist nowadays to have that background? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It gives you the structure. I couldn't be a stylist without having worked in professional kitchens, not the stylist that I am now, you know, someone who can break down a whole pig or someone who understands what seasonality and different traditional cooking methods are. Um, I think beauty and design and, and style, as you call it, it's not improvised. It has a layer of preparation to get there. And my layer of preparation was cooking for real. <laughs> I said, well, we're going to take a quick break on that and come back and talk about eating ice cream with Bradley Cooper and gardening with the First Lady. <laughs> You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You're probably a sandwich lover. Half the people in America eat one every day. Sabra, maker of America's favorite hummus, just released a new squeezable spread to take your sandwiches from good to great. Garlic herb on turkey, sea salt and cracked pepper on roast beef, and we've got to try the honey mustard on grilled chicken. The easy squeeze bottles are convenient and you're not even stuck washing a knife. The best thing is that they have 75% less fat than the current leading spread mayo. So whether you're looking to amp up today's lunch, eat a little healthier, or just not be a member of the Mayo Club, Sabra has your solution with their new spreads. They're vegan, kosher, gluten-free, and non-GMO. Look for them in the deli of your local grocer and learn more at Sabra.com. Hey, and welcome back to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Mariana Velasquez. 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 (laughs) Sometimes you just got to repeat it to make sure. Ice cream with Bradley Cooper. Gardening with the First Lady. I mean, if if I buried the leads on those. But these are two things that have happened in your real life. Yes. Um, you know, and, and we're not quite at the styling stage of, you know, that chronology of mm. where you came from and where you are today. Because um, you worked in test kitchens. Yes. But then there was this kind of felicitous moment while in one of those that you were privy to this world of styling that you never knew about. Yeah, I was at the Savoir Kitchen, and we were shooting a story for Pakistan. I was, we were testing the recipes for the story that had been shot in Pakistan. And the photographer who had the job came into the kitchen to shoot two recipes that were missing. And I had been cooking this food all summer, trying to figure out and get it right f- for print. And um, Brooks Lazak was her name. She came over, and I made this roasted eggplant with yogurt. And I played it, put it on set... Or basically on a table by the window. It wasn't really a set. And she said to me, have you ever thought about styling? And I, I, was, like, I was like, what? <laughs> is that a job? Or is that something that people do on the side? She said, no, that's a real career. You can really do this for a living. 
And she started telling me about what it meant and gave me some names. And two weeks later, I quit the magazine and started assisting Sheila Veen. And it was the beginning of this career that I didn't even know existed. I mean, who who would have thunk that you would have, you know, been having ice cream with Bradley Cooper? I would have never thought <laughs> <felt> that. <laughs> so you, you've worked on these ads uh, with Haagen-Dazs. Yes. And yes, you have this celebrity figure in the frame, but your job is to make sure that food looks good. Or is it is it more than that? Well, that the food looks good, that the ice cream is just at the perfect temperature. Um that every single spoonful of ice cream that Bradley Cooper, in this case, ate, looked with this particular swirl and this rugged texture. Yeah. Each spoonful. I mean, did he love you or hate you by the end? How much ice cream did he actually you know have what? to eat? He ate all the ice cream. Wow. They always have the option to spit. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then again, with, uh, with Michelle Obama, you had the privilege of working on our cookbook with her. Yes. Um, they have a wonderful garden there. Mm-hmm. But what kind of pressure do you have to translate somebody else's work? Because this isn't your food on a plate. This is the first lady. I know. that was It was a surreal experience. First, we shot the cover at the White House in the garden. And this was shot in September. And there had been a hurricane that had passed through. And so the garden was in pretty rough shape. So I had to show up at the White House with a granny cart full of eggplants, tomatoes, zucchinis that all went through a scanner. (laughs) And then I had to just use those beautiful vegetables because the ones at the garden were not looking so good. And I created these baskets for her to hold. And I loved how involved she was in, you know, how she complimented them. She told me which ones she liked the most. She was so involved in the creative process in that sense. And then the food that's in in the book, you know, beautiful, very seasonal recipes had to have that character, you know, that homemade, real, delicious, fresh food. I mean, obviously she has uh, um, such a recognizable, I would say palate at this point because of how she promotes food and diets. Um, But then you have something like... uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounce this name, but Teresita Roman, mm-hmm. who is a classic cookbook author of Colombia. Yes. How do, you, how do you redo a classic? No, and imagine redoing a classic at the author's house, which is a Moroccan-style oh, wow. house yeah. outside of the old city in Cartagena in this traditional neighborhood called Manga. And this was Michael at her house, in her kitchen, with her two cooks, um, having access to all her china, silverware, amazing collections of platters, um, tablecloth, everything that you can imagine, and shooting with natural light in the different rooms of the house in the backyard. So it's, it was taking, you know, that book, the original book, has 3,000 recipes. And it was taking those 3,000, selecting the 200 most relevant most, I don't know, just, it was really hard to choose, but 200 amazing recipes and then staying true to her, you know, to her vision 40 years ago, to why she wrote those recipes, how she served that food. So um, it was such a, a journey and, and a beautiful experience. And they translate, I mean, they, they 
become contemporary with how you style and how you shoot them. Right. I mean, tell me about these plantains, too. Uh, there's this one specific dish that, I mean, I visually cannot get out of my head. <laughs> so it's funny because the Roman family, Teresita's family, created this cola called Cola Roman, this red syrupy um, soda that is the flavor of the Caribbean. And from that, you know, in the 60s, they would make Coca-Cola rice. They would make things with Coca-Cola. And they decided to experiment with these braised sweet plantain recipes braised in this cola. So they braise whole and when you, and so they turn bright red. And when you break them open, then they have the yellow in the center. But this concoction has cinnamon and cloves. And I cannot tell you, they're really delicious. No, you can. You're telling me now, and I completely (laughs) believe you. And then, even more so, seeing that image, uh, there can't. I mean, I'm I'm at a loss for words (laughs) right now. But you know, we've talked about all these spectacular people you've worked with, but you yourself are spectacular. And I mean, what what do you want to do? You have you're so multi-dimensional in that you've cooked, you style, you you also are quite the style icon with uh, what you wear and how you carry yourself. Um, how do you package that all together to be like one of those clients you've worked with? So the next project is a cookbook, and basically it's a cookbook that tells the story from Bogota to Big Sur and how everything happened. Uh, I'm coming out with an apron line, basically. I don't know, about a year ago, I found this top that I loved. I modified it and then I made an apron and then I've replicated with different fabrics and it's become a hit. So I'm going to come out with an apron line. And I think that I want to keep styling and keep producing beautiful images and video. I don't know, to... To keep... You know, food is so ephemeral... You eat it, it's out of your palate and out of your mouth in a second. What you maintain is the memory of it. And then with an image or a video, you keep it forever. So I think I want to keep doing that, just making food last and making food memories last. Yeah, it, it feels like you told me one of your favorite things to style is, is actually ice. Yes. <laughs> and, I mean, you can't talk about ephemeral without mentioning that as one of the harder things to have on set. I mean, cocktails themselves aren't necessarily easy because you're dealing with reflective and you're dealing with sometimes kind of monotone things. But then you throw ice into the mix. No, and it gives all the texture. You know, it picks up the light. It can be sharp. It could be soft. It could be a sphere. Um you know, I play with different shapes and sizes of ice. Sometimes I'll freeze a whole tray and I'll break it open with a hammer and have these shards of ice that give this drama to the liquid. And that I find that fascinating. It's all about texture, shape, and light. Yeah, is there any singular thing that you style that you think has that much versatility? Mm, no, not really. I mean, no. I mean, I guess meringue also has a lot of versatility. Yeah. But then it's very forgiving as well. You know, I mean, it gives you way more time unless it's humid. (laughs) Yeah. Believe me, I've put off some recipe testing I have to do because of humidity lately. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I I can't not mention ice again because uh, there's this shaved ice dessert that you make with condensed milk. 
Um, and I do have like a half a can of condensed milk and randomly an ice shaver at my house at the moment. So tell me what I'm supposed to be doing when I go home. First of all, the ice is just an excuse to eat this food and condensed <laughs> milk. Yeah. <laughs> Which is one of my guilty pleasures of all time. But yeah, I mean, shaved ice is raspado. In Colombia, you find raspado everywhere, where, you know, every city where it's warm or every town where it's warm. And so you shave the ice. And my favorite is you make a tamarind syrup. I don't make it too sweet. And then you just drizzle it or you drench it with sweet and condensed milk. I'm fine with that. It's easy. I, I'm, I'm more than fine with that. And that will be in your upcoming book, I, I assume. <laughs> yes. A whole chapter just on, <laughs> on using shaved ice as a vehicle to eat things that you're embarrassed to eat alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for being on. And if you don't know Mariana's work, uh, please learn about her journey from Bogota to Big Sur and thankfully now to New York. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.